Good afternoon, 7 Investors, and welcome to the Monday edition of 7 Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks-Klein. I'm the host of the program. Uh, I will just say for me, it is T minus four days to my first time back on a cruise ship in 16 months, something like that, a year ago, February, uh, for the Super Bowl. I'm being joined today by Max Chatsko. Max, I want to talk about a couple of things at the top of the show. First, uh, we were talking about dental work before the show, and when you get a tooth implanted, I asked the question, do you get the option like a spy to have that you know little pack put in so if you're captured, you can opt you know to off yourself so you don't you know get tortured to reveal the secrets? That's not my question. My question is, why do we not have more accidentally dead spies? It seems to me like you'd have that in your mouth. Like I bite my tongue all the time. It feels like I wouldn't go a week without accidentally biting my my anti-capture pill or whatever you call it there. Well, Dan, that's why they're spies and you're not. It's pretty simple. That probably makes sense. Max, did you have fun this weekend? I, I had fun at the end of the week last week. I went to Hollywood Studio, so it was kind of a working uh, slash exercise weekend for me. Did you get to do something fun? I did. I went out with some friends. I'm, I'm really enjoying everyone being vaccinated and uh, just having fun again. Like last, last summer was kind of brutal, you know? Uh, you, you're way more social than me, and I'm sure it was <laughs> painful, painful for you, Dan. Yeah, it, it, it's, I don't even like to think about it because, as you know, I am someone that, that likes to be in front of people. I spent a lot of my time traveling. Uh, I, I would visit the office back when I worked someplace that had an office, which was not a requirement of my job. But I like doing podcasts in person. I like scheduling 12 different coffees a day. And, uh, and uh, sometimes the coffee was so good, I would drink eight or nine different coffees a day, which is something I, I no longer do. Uh, that being said, I want to ask a question about vaccines. So you brought up people are vaccinated. I, I think you should take a little bit of a victory lap here because you have been the first person I've seen very publicly in media saying we will almost certainly not need a booster shot anytime soon. Uh, and right now you're seeing more and more doctors say that. You're seeing more and more tests show that we're likely to have years of immunity. Uh, and the only people calling for booster shots are the CEOs of companies that make vaccines. This is a little bit like uh, the CEO of McDonald's coming out and saying, if you don't have a Big Mac a week, you're going to die. So, uh, and it's probably the opposite. But Max, your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, early on, um, you know, the focus initially in the media, maybe around, you know, uh, the general population was on antibodies, right? Do you have antibodies? Uh, before the vaccines came out, everybody was focused on, do you have antibodies? If you're infected, how long do they last? And the thing with, you know, if you get infected with the virus or uh, you get the vaccine, uh, antibodies are only part of your immunity. So, um, you know, B cells are more important. T cells, certain types of T cells are more important. And it, it stood to reason that, you know, even though we couldn't detect antibodies in your blood, uh, to neutralize virus particles, um, you would still have, you know, B cell memory and T cell memory. Um, so like years from now, if you get s sick with something similar, uh, that would ramp back up and you'd produce antibodies again. So, you know, when, like you said, when CEOs are talking about we need boosters and they're already investing in new facilities. And, and uh, I think Moderna even has a, already a contract with uh, the U.S. government. I hope it's optional so we're not wasting more money. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how that how that goes. Um, if you don't need it, then, you know, why should we be paying for it? I pity the fool who don't have T-cells uh, to take us back to the 80s a little bit there. That is not our main topic for the show today. Our main topic uh, was going to be investing in the recovery. We're absolutely going to talk investing in the recovery. But Max, the internet is a kablooey. All of Twitter is filled up with talk about CRISPR. And by the way, it is very weird to see people who don't have any sort of medical background talking about, about CRISPR and how much money they're making. And But... 
we did actually have some monumental news over the weekend. Can you put it into perspective? And maybe the word monumental is, is, is too big a reach, but can you give us some perspective on what we saw this weekend? Yeah, so we, we actually talked about this on Wednesday show, I think it was. Uh, so we kind of set it up, right? We knew that on Saturday there would be a data readout. This is the first time we have data from a CRISPR gene editing tool that's been used inside of the body. Uh, so the company Intelia Therapeutics, uh, as everyone in the world now knows, uh, released data over the weekend and the first six patients um, in a rare disease called uh, HATTR. So this was a CRISPR gene editing knockout, meaning they were trying to silence a certain gene, right? So in this disease, um, a protein called TTR uh, misfolds, it's mutated, and it accumulates in certain organs in the body, uh, and it causes disease. It can be fatal if it's not uh, treated. Um, so their idea is, hey, we'll just knock out this gene so you'll never make that protein. So in the first six patients that were tested, and this is an ongoing phase one clinical trial, so it's still very, very early, um, but it appeared to work very, very well. Um, in the lowest dose tested, uh, we saw the average protein reduction was about 53%. So that's not optimal. That's not even better than uh, treatments on the market today. But in the middle dose tested, those three patients saw an average protein reduction of about 87%. So that's exactly like, very competitive uh, with what's on the market today. And then there's a higher dose they want to test because they didn't see any worrisome safety uh, uh, issues uh, from those first two doses. They're going to test an even higher dose and see if we can get even higher levels of uh, protein reduction. So we welcome your questions and comments. We appreciate the comments that have come in. A few of them are a little off color, so we are not going to share them, uh, but we do appreciate them. We would love, say hello, ask us a question about, about uh, Intelia Therapeutics, ask us about CRISPR. Uh, I'm not going to answer those questions. Max will. So Max, testing on six people, how far from testing on six people to clinical trials, or, or is this even treating something that's broad enough that you're going to be able to have all those steps? Yeah, so I think, um, right, this is still very early. We have to say that, right? But it's also different from other therapeutic modalities, you know? Uh, if I give you a pill for like asthma or cancer or something, and it's an oral medication, it's a small molecule, um, and it's relatively sloppy. It's not very precise. So that's why we have to test it in like hundreds of patients uh, before you have a good idea of is this safe, is this effective, how effective, how safe. But with genetic medicines, um, they're a lot cleaner. They're a lot more precise. We're going as far upstream as we can. You know, we're treating the root causes of diseases. So this was a pretty big data readout because, again, it's the first time we have this for uh, in the body, uh, inside the body for a CRISPR tool. Uh, and the platform that Intelli Therapeutics has for knockouts, it's one of its three pipelines. Um, you know, there's no reason to think that this won't work for other genes that we might want to target within the liver. So the market's rightfully excited to assign higher probabilities of, of success for the company's uh, drug candidates. And that's how we value, uh, you know, drug, early stage drug developers. We don't have revenue. We don't have earnings. We don't have cash flow. Uh, so the net present value calculations look at trying to estimate how, what's the probability this reaches the market and generates some money. Um, so these enormous increases, all six publicly traded CRISPR stocks are up about 10% or so. Uh, some have fallen a little bit below that, but you know, it's like everyone's really excited about CRISPR because uh, we're saying, oh, this is going to work like gangbusters, right? So again, it's like tempting to think, well, this is only six patients. We have to be careful. And we do, but um, we have to ask different questions than traditional drug development. So we need to look at, you know, longer term safety issues. The thing with CRISPR that's great uh, or any gene editing modality is that it's, you know, one and done. We give it to you once, we edited the genome and that's it. Get out of my office, right? Um, but if something goes wrong later, 
well, there's no undo button. We can't stop treatment. You've already been treated. Uh, so these long tail safety risks uh, are something that might, you know, catch up later to CRISPR, something that investors have to keep in mind. So uh, it's tough. This is a totally new territory. We have to, we have to value these things properly. But um, if something goes wrong later, it's going to be really hard uh, for them to come back from that. So, so Max, are we more likely to see this technology used to treat things that are deadly or seriously debilitating? Because in theory, if you have a cancer that's going to kill you in the next 18 months, you're not that concerned about whether 10 years from now your eyes are going to fall out. They, they might be able to find a treatment for that in the interim. Is, is this technology maybe going to first be used in just preservation of life to, to you know, help you limp along to the next day? Yeah, so it's important to point out the... Uh the limitations of what we're doing now. So this data was in for a CRISPR knockout in the liver. Um, so we can't target other organs yet. And uh, uh, you want to do things that are way more precise than a knockout. A knockout's relatively sloppy. Um, so we will use it in other diseases and other organ systems to silence gene expression in other parts of the body or to alter gene expression, I should say. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's going to make its way into more prevalent diseases and all genetic medicines will. So like today we're treating rare diseases. Sometimes there's only tens of thousands of patients or fewer globally now we're in the U.S. Uh, that have these diseases. But eventually we're going to start treating things like, you know, car- cardiovascular risk reduction or alcohol use disorder, which is alcoholism. Um, other things that are way more prevalent, T- certain types of cancers uh, could eventually be used directly, you know, with CRISPR, or RNAi or something like that. Um, so, yes, you're right. But it's still like ways away right now, Dan. Are we talking years? Or are we talking decades? Uh, sometime this decade, we should start to see those enter clinical trials. I don't know, again, the success rates of those. But um, again, and if we could just talk about maybe the long tail risks a little bit. Yeah, I think, that, that was going to be my next question. Um, what, you know, Investors are kind of getting ahead of themselves here. That doesn't mean these aren't good stocks to own, but you're, there's, there's long tail risks. And you're also, you're not going to see actual revenue for quite a while, right? Yeah, so there's a couple different risks. Uh, one is commercial risks. So there are treatments available for a lot of these things uh, for gene silencing. Uh, and that comes from RNAi. They might not always be better, but they do offer very similar benefits to patients. The caveat is you have to take them more than once, right? Um, but they're simple shots, so subcutaneous dosing. Um, and they're working on spacing out the dosing more than current treatments. So right now, everyone's comparing what the Intellia drug candidate, NTLA2001, which was the thing over the weekend that had data, to a treatment called Onpatro. And this is, uh, you have to get an IV every three weeks. It's very inconvenient for patients. There's actually another RNAi treatment uh, in development. It's actually probably going to get approved in April 2022 or sooner. It's called Vutrosiren. And that's uh, a simple shot. And you get it once every three months. And that company is actually looking at uh, maybe dosing it once every six months and then has a newer technology platform. That's not going to enter clinical trials until the end of 2022, but it might be a simple shot once every 12 months. So that kind of starts to look very convenient for patients, right? And if there are long-term safety risks from permanent uh, edits to the genome, then maybe that simple shot that's reversible treatment um, starts to look a little bit more attractive. Now, if we're looking at the long-term safety risks or the long tail safety risks, so that's just the way that CRISPR works, right? Um, everyone's familiar with like DNA, right? A double-stranded helix, right? Everybody knows the shape. So the two strands wrap around each other. Now, CRISPR gene editing works by cutting both strands of DNA. So we call that a double-stranded break. So we get in and it can precisely target a gene on the genome. 
Uh, so when we say it's precise, that's what we mean. We can precisely target that. However, we rely on natural repair mechanisms to stitch the genome back together. If we cut your genome in half, Dan, that's not very good. You're not going to make it very far. <laughs> uh, so a, a double-stranded break is actually one of the most traumatic events in biology, and that's where some of the long-tail risks come in. Um, so we've already observed in the lab that using CRISPR gene editing and then waiting on those natural repair mechanisms to come in and stitch the genome back together, we've observed that there's random insertions of genetic material, random deletions of genetic material, and also something called chromosomal translocations, which is larger parts of your genome are just kind of randomly swapped in and out for one another. Each three of those things, uh, insertions, deletions, and translocations, are all hallmarks of cancer. So, you know, there's this long tail safety risk that yes, initially the data looked great. And in, in, in clinical trials, this looks amazing. It's one and done. But maybe years later, maybe even after clinical testing's done or after these things are already on the market, a higher number of patients uh, start to develop cancers because they were treated with CRISPR gene editing. So there's this long-term risk, like, and there's nothing that... Um, CRISPR gene editing can do to fix that. It works by making a double-stranded cut. So if that becomes a problem, then uh, this therapeutic modality is kind of dead in the water. Uh, so that's why there's a little bit more excitement for things like CRISPR base editing. It doesn't use a double-stranded break. Uh, and there's other gene editing systems that don't rely on double-stranded breaks. So there's a lot more nuance to this. It's not like, you know, CRISPR is going to, um, you know, cure all the diseases and we never have to develop another medicine again. Um, so we do have to be careful, uh, but at the same time, there is, you can see why there's excitement and why there's uh, a, a steep adjustment higher uh, to a lot of these market valuations. It does make sense. It's also early. So you have to kind of acknowledge both things. Chromosomal translocation is on my list of fantasy football team names. That is absolutely <laughs> going on the list. Max, let, let's have the last word here. When you invest in a stock like this, there is significantly more risk than when you invest in an established stock. You know, it, yes, like tomorrow I'll pick a random company. Target CEO could come out and say something terrifically bad and that could really hurt the company, but you can fire him and move on and it's going to be fine. This could end up having some of these companies fail, some of this technology fail or alternate paths be developed that make this type of, I don't want to say risk, but right now experimental technology might make less sense. So as an investor, how do you look at this? Yeah, well, this is kind of new territory. You know, I think um, what we can say is a lot of, um, you know, genetic medicine therapeutic modalities, right? Uh, they do seem to have very high probabilities of success. So we, we can um, design them to be pretty simple and, and rationally design them to work. And then when we observe that they work in the body, uh, we know we can translate that to other diseases. Um, so I like, um, this is new territory and it requires new thinking, new models, new questions to be asked. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's Beware the person selling you a CRISPR gene editing kit on Facebook. Uh, that, is, <laughs> that is something to be careful of. I want to take the comment from Chris B. It's going to be a good way to seg uh, into a little bit of a promo here. As a healthy skeptic, what proof or milestone would it take for you, that would be Max, to recommend a CRISPR company for 7investing? Now, if you are a member of 7investing, you would know whether Max has ever recommended a CRISPR company. Has he? Maybe he has. Maybe he hasn't. <laughs> it is hard to know because you're not a member. You don't have access to our picks. If you would like access to our picks, up until July 7th, that is 
perilously close to now, less than two weeks away, you can join Seven Investing for $17 a month or $170 a year. If you do that before July 7th, I'm saying it in the be wary voice because it changes on July 8th. If you do that, you lock in that pricing forever, as long as you continually stay a member. If you wait till July 8th, our prices are going to go up to $49 a month or $399 a year. Why? Because our service is worth more than that. We, we've expanded exponentially. We've gone from a handful of advisors to seven advisors. We've uh, added our member-only calls, which is a 90-minute ask us anything about our picks. We do a new member onboarding call. I did a one-on-one -on -one call with a member this week because after exhausting all of those options, he still had some questions about the market. We are a high-service company. We don't promise to do that with everyone. This was, But there are cases where that makes sense, where a person is really put in their work and still has the questions. Uh, so if you'd like to become a member, join us at seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. Max, we're going to pivot a little bit here. We're going we're gonna to play what I call a bit of a game. I'm going to throw out a bunch of sectors slash investable areas, and we're going to discuss how we think those areas will do as the country slowly puts the pandemic behind it. It is it is very strange that we're like sort of post-pandemic. Like I mentioned at the top, I'm going on a cruise this week. But I don't legally have to show I'm vaccinated. But if I don't show I'm vaccinated, I can't go to the casino. I can't go to my the piano bar or the pub, two of my favorite places on board. There's all sorts of rules. And this is sort of in the, the endless battle with the state of Florida because they would like to actually be able to require it. But you don't know every place you go. I have the mask in my pocket or in my hand because some places are still requiring it. It is confusing. But the world is opening up. Uh, so let's look first. Uh, airlines. Now, Airlines are really weird. Have you tried to book a flight anytime recently, Max? No, not yet, but... So I have a flight to North Carolina in a couple of weeks uh, and then to Birmingham, Alabama for a wedding. And my flights have been changed like 15 times. My connecting city has changed. Uh, and, and it's because the airlines are dealing with capacity things. But as an investor, and I know this isn't your space, uh, do you think travel goes back to normal and airlines will get back to growth at some point? Man, I know nothing about airlines as far as the businesses, but I do think there's gonna be a healthy bump this year, right? There's a lot of like pent up demand. People want to get out. Um, maybe by 2022, it starts to go back to normal, but I don't see any reason why like travel will be permanently dented. I think uh, people are still going to go on vacations and fly around the country and all that. Yeah, I think that's the answer. It's largely same as it ever was, but it's going to be reported as an increase this year. Why is it going to be reported as an increase is Every airline except Southwest, or every major airline except Southwest, laid off or furloughed workers. And even in the case of Southwest, they, they I don't want to say encouraged early retirements, but you know they certainly worked with their union to get some people who wanted to retire early to retire early. There is a shortage of personnel. There is a shortage of planes. So in a lot of cases, routes I used to fly regularly just aren't there. So you're not going to have trouble getting from uh, you know LaGuardia to Orlando but I'm having a lot of trouble getting from West Palm or Fort Lauderdale to Charlotte and Birmingham and home and all the different things to the point that at some point I was like, how long a drive is this? Like, I know it's about 10 hours to, to, to North Carolina, um, you know, and then Birmingham's about five hours from there, but then the ride home would be pretty, pretty brutal. So yeah. And I think everything we said there, these weren't investable in my opinion, 
before the pandemic. I, some people will make a case for Southwest. I like Southwest as a business. I don't like the endless cycle of, of investment. I don't like that fuel prices are, are, are very volatile and part of their business. I don't like that there's a lot of low-cost competitors coming in. And I think everything I just said about airlines largely applies to hotels. We are going to see a big bounce back in the hotel space because some hotels are still closed. I, I was just at Disney World and I don't know the number, but like half the Disney properties, including some very major ones, are still closed. They used uh, a lot of this time, you know, to go back and, and revamp some hotels, uh, to retheme some hotels, to do some work that's very hard to do when you're at capacity. But Max, I know you've been in some bars and restaurants in recent months. And, you know, there's obviously a fair amount of, uh, of public companies in the restaurant space. Uh, I'll give you one that, that, that I like as a business, but not as an investment. And that would be uh, you know, BJ's, uh, the, 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 the restaurant chain. They, they're sort of, in my opinion, the best of the Chili's, Friday's, Applebee's, all of which are, are part of publicly traded companies. That being said, I see demand coming back. I see it as high. I think you've got to be best in class in, in restaurants to be investable. And that is a, a very short list. You know, you could, you know, you could give me Chipotle. I'm not sure, even though I like BJ's, I'm not so sure that I see that as, as a good long-term business, even as people do go back out to eat. But Max, your thoughts, are people going to eat at home more or are they going to flood the restaurants? Oh, they're going to go out to restaurants and be pigs for sure. Um, at least it's like where I live though. You know, I live in a city and, um, it's like, you know, the cool hip thing to go to like the local scenes, not the uh, the big chains necessarily. Is that a big impact to you? So y yes and no. West Palm Beach has a mix of both. Um, there's definitely, there's not a lot of like one-off local restaurants, uh, except for very nice ones. There's a lot of like, let's call them regional chains where they have maybe like six or eight or even like 20 or 30. Um, and I do think there's some preference for people to go to those. But there's also a lot of tourism here. There's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that, yeah, it's like I could go to the hip downtown restaurant, but it's Tuesday night. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings and and eat in Orlando, uh, where we have our our, our second place, or, or Davenport, Florida, to be technical, uh, bordering on Kissimmee. Uh, it's hard to find a local restaurant. It it, it is a land of chains uh, and hotel restaurants, and you can find some good hotel restaurants, which is which is actually pretty rare. But again, I, I think there's going to be a comeback. I don't think you can make any investing decisions based on the next 12 months of data because the pent-up demand, the pent-up savings, all the stimulus money, an awful lot of people want to go out. And, and I've told this story on air, my, my son and I went to an on the border, which I don't think is part of a publicly traded chain, but I'm not sure. Uh, and the restaurant was empty and they told us it was 20 minutes to sit. And that's because they didn't have enough waitresses uh, or waiters or servers or whatever you're, you're supposed to call them these days. Um, that, I think, is going to make it look like there's going to be a lot of factors making these industries look more successful than they are. So if you weren't going to buy shares in you know, Restaurant Brands International or Dine Equity or whatever it is before the pandemic, I'd be very wary of, of buying them now. We'd love your questions, your comments, your thoughts about the reopening. Uh, it is a very quiet audience out there. Uh, Max, I'll throw out this one and I can have the answer. Theme parks. I think theme parks are going to be incredibly resurgent because uh, on a local level, say a Six Flags is very, very affordable. Uh, and on a, a national level, which really means you, you're, you're Walt Disney World's, uh, your Disneyland, SeaWorld and Universal Studios. I think the pent up vacation demand is very high. But again, I was at Disney and it was crowded. 
but it's not at full capacity. Uh, they are selling out their, their Halloween extra ticket event at Disney. I'm sure Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios will do well, uh, but we don't know what the capacities look like. We don't know when they get back to full. Legally, they could be at full. The reason they're not at full is if you went to Disney World and all of the big ticket theatrical productions and sing-alongs and other things, stunt shows and other things that just eat up crowds, uh, if those aren't happening, you can't, the park won't operate. It would be like a four hour line for everything. I mean, I waited in 45 minute, a 45 minute line at Starbucks. Uh, so that is a problem. I wish someone had just told me there was a coffee kiosk like two minutes away that had no line. Uh, so I think theme parks are going to have a huge bounce back year, but the actual revenue being better is probably going to be starting the holiday season when we're fully open, when the flights are in place. The other big barrier we have, and I don't think this hurts Disney as much, but it definitely hurts Universal Studios and SeaWorld. Rental cars are crazy expensive for reasons we've, we've talked about. There's a shortage of them. So, you know, are, are there investable plays here? Like, yeah, I, I think I've made it no secret that Disney is one of my favorite companies uh, and Comcast is one of my least favorite. Comcast owns Universal Studios, uh, both Six Flags and SeaWorld are publicly traded companies. I'd be very, very wary. Those were not well-run. I don't want to say not well-run companies. The actual business of those places was not well-run. Like maybe their corporate's great, but their in-park experience is not. Max, do they still you... have? Do they still have uh, like higher expenses for any like health mitigation uh, things or no? Is that so? My my guess is that's almost entirely gone away. I don't know. You know, they might be providing masks for staff that can't be that significant an expense at a place that already provides uniforms. Uh, there's extra cleaning. So so there's there's definitely that. But there's also lessened cleaning. Uh, I stayed in a hotel for a few days and they don't do maid service unless you specifically request. It. I think if you say a certain length, uh, they they come in. I know at other places I've stayed during the pandemic, they bring you like a new bundle of towels uh, but they don't come in and take the old ones. I guess you could leave the old ones outside. So yeah, the results are going to be hinky. Um, and I think that's going to be true for the next one here. Max, when was the last time you went to a movie in a theater? Uh, it's been a while, obviously, <laughs> but I don't know. I, don't, I couldn't even tell you the last movie I saw. Maybe, honestly, I think it was like Godzilla like six years ago. <laughs> right, so Max, not a big movie guy before this. I am a big movie guy. Um, and I'm going to go Black Widow will be my first movie back in a theater. I'll go see it with my son in a couple of weeks. Uh, my wife has gone to see where they went to see a quiet place too. I am afraid of things. So I didn't see that movie theaters aren't coming back uh, for people who worry about this a, as an investment. This isn't an investment. Uh, why? Because small movies play better at home. Netflix is paying big money for certain movies and those movies might play on two or three screens for Oscar eligibility but just a lot of the movies we used to go see in theaters simply aren't going to come out in theaters. If you're making a, you know, a movie that you're going to make for 10, $20 million and Netflix will guarantee you a profit on it uh, and an audience that makes a lot more sense than these expensive slow releases. So for the most part, I think the art house is dead. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot more movies, but we're probably also going to have a lot more bad movies, a lot more very expensive prestige movies that, you know, I, I didn't watch The Irishman because I, I can't imagine sitting through it, but I think you are going to have some of these auteurs get, you know, get paid money to make things that that maybe just, just aren't that good. And I'm not commenting on that specific movie. I didn't see it. Uh, but, you know, I don't think there's a path back for movie theaters and separating AMC out as a meme stock. I get all the things you could do. Sure. You can show UFC fights. You can rent out space to colleges. You can 
have stand-up comedy or, you know, or, or, or live events or whatever it is, those are going to be very niche things. If, if I was investing in the movie space, uh, I don't think there is no publicly traded company, but I'd be looking at some of the Eden theaters and some of the, the experiential theaters, especially if their experience is good enough that you'd go to them without a movie. That's an argument I make about Dave and Buster's all the time. This should be good enough that I want to eat here when I'm not going to play video games or there's not a football game I want to watch. And I challenge any person to say that the food there is. It is, it is not, you know, not passable, uh, which is a problem. So, Max, let's jump ahead here. Healthcare alternatives. Um, when, I, when I say that, that's a pretty broad thing, but I think we've all become pretty comfortable with everything from delivered prescriptions to telemedicine to remote monitoring of, of some of our health, whether it be via app or via other things. Uh, where do you think that's going to go as an investable space? Yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, it's not a space I, I follow very closely, but um, you know, to me, I mean, I feel like some of that's still relatively limited. Um, you're you're much uh, more of a fan or like more optimistic on the outlook of telemedicine, I think, than I am. I just feel like there's there's only so much you can do. You can't like take someone's blood pressure or anything. So so, so I think a hybrid telemedicine model is is going to be where we're going. Um, but honestly, if you ask me where to invest. I'd probably tell you Apple uh, because look, there's a lot of things we've talked about on shows that it's not plausible for your, your Apple watch to be a, a medical device. It's absolutely plausible for there to be a blood pressure cuff or for your, your watch to take your blood pressure at some point. Uh, but I don't think, look, look, you can't have a pure telemedicine appointment. I could tell my doctor I weigh 170. Now I'm 5'10". Um, you know, neither of those things are true and he wouldn't necessarily be able to verify but I do think you're going to see more the model of your appointment with the doctor is after you've had blood work run at a, at a neighborhood lab. That's how it works for, for our doctors here. You, you don't get your blood drawn at your physical. You get your blood drawn uh, you know, a few days before or a few days after. Um, you know, they take your height and weight, but it's not the doctor who takes your height and weight. It's, it's a nurse. So I think you are going to see more like dispatched nurses that come and you know, for now maybe take your blood pressure and things like that. But going forward when everyone who owns an Apple watch can, can track their blood pressure for six months, that's going to be a much more meaningful device uh, than Dan going to the doctor, having white coat syndrome and having his blood pressure be high and then having to go, you know, sit in the CVS afterwards to calm himself down and, and, and show readings that it isn't, um, you know, and doctors are aware of that and there, there's, there's things they can check for and, and techniques they can use, but there's, there's a lot. So yeah, I am confident in that space. I am not necessarily confident that any of the pure medical companies in that space are necessarily going to make it worth. Uh, we're going to take a couple of comments here. Uh, we will take uh, the, the second comment from Kevin Eckmark, if you want to share that one. Wasn't a big believer in telehealth until I bought my first Apple Watch two weeks ago. Max, you don't wear any sort of fitness device, do you? Nope. I have a, uh, no, <laughs> no fitness devices for me. Yeah, so I, I do. I'm older than you. I use my fitness device as an accountability device. And my goal is, is to move enough every day to close up the rings. I haven't done any of that today, uh, but, I, but I will this afternoon, uh, you know, take a two or three mile walk at a pretty aggressive pace. Um, and I will show my trainer when I meet with my trainer two or three times a week. Yep, here's when I did it. The only days I don't do that is the days I see my trainer. Because I will say the one thing Apple is really bad at is keeping track of, of actual weightlifting exercise. So I do an hour of lifting weights at a pretty high cardio pace with my trainer, and it might credit me 180 calories. 
and I'm dripping sweat because the air conditioning is right now broken at half of our, our gym. So on those days, I know I put a hard hour in. I'm not worried necessarily about it. Uh, but I use this to know and I'll go, okay, I'm going to be in the car all day today. Is there a time I can fit in a walk in the morning? Or, you know, am I going to have to double down and hit the gym the next day instead of just doing something cardiovascular? I think it's an amazing thing for that. I think there can also be some paralysis by analysis um, in that I know my blood pressure at all times. And until I realize that like eating causes your, not your blood pressure, your, your heart, your heartbeat, uh, that eating just causes you to go up 10, 20 points. I had to look that up to know that that was normal, you know, to see these things. Or if you see something shocking or surprising or sometimes just turn too fast, you might go from 65 beats a minute to 95 beats a minute. Until I got used to that rhythm, I maybe spent a little bit more time worried about it than I should have. So Max, yeah, at your age, go, go ahead. Yeah, the, so that's, that's interesting. Um, first you said, you know, it's like more of an accountability device. And that's actually really interesting insight. Um, you know, there actually are studies that, you know, people who track their weight or their workouts or their run or whatever, right? Maybe of a spreadsheet, maybe of an app, uh, they are more consistent. So that can form healthier habits over time. So just that, it's kind of more of like a tangent, but that's a pretty big opportunity, I would think. Uh, yeah, and then with, go ahead. So, so I, I think there's something I've learned from, let's call it productivity training. I, I, I worked, a friend of mine, Mike Schultz, just put out a book called Not Today. Uh, that, that's, it's a productivity book. It's also about the the very tragic passing of his son and how sort of being in the hospital forced him to sort of figure out how to be as productive as possible because he had to keep his business afloat because he needed health insurance because his son was going through some, some terrible things. So search that book out. I'll, I'll share the link on, on Amazon. Very proud to be a small part of it and to have been part of their story. But when I worked on some of the editing of that book, I went, wait, I do these things at work. I have, these are my tasks for the day. I'm going to do the one I least want to do first uh, these are the deadlines I have. These are the things that if I clear them off my plate, I don't have to work Friday afternoon. Like that's how I always worked. It wasn't how I approached fitness. I always approached fitness as sort of a, this is what you're supposed to do. And it's really easy to make excuses to not do them. So now I sort of act like my watch is my boss and my, you know, and if I don't tick that off now, look, are there days where you're just not going to do it? Sure. The day I drove 12 hours to, to, to North Carolina, I couldn't do it. Um, you know, I, but most of the time I'd say six days out of seven, seven days out of seven, I'm accountable. And it makes you think about every choice you make. I, I was talking to my trainer, uh, because I am going on this cruise and this works for investing too, by the way, like having a diligent, like, yep, every two weeks I'm putting money in, I'm going to buy, you know, my highest conviction, or I'm going to take a seven investing recommendation, whatever it is, having a method to your madness makes sense. And then you can make exceptions. So with investing, I might make an exception if a stock I really love uh, it gets cut in half for some dumb reason. And I still really believe in the stock. I might take some money out of my account and, and speed up my investment. Uh, the same happens with exercise. Like, you know, I, I might say, okay, I know tomorrow's going to be bad. The third Friday of every month, we are on camera from like 10 in the morning until like six o'clock at night. And at six o'clock at night, all I want to do is like eat comfort food. I don't want to go work. So I make sure that that Saturday is a, a, a trainer day for me, that that Thursday before was a heavy workout for me. I think that there's a lot of things you can do there. And yeah, I think tools like this help. Um, you know, I don't use my Apple Watch for anything else. Like I, don't, I don't play mute. I, I use it to pay at, at, at a couple of places. You can pull up a barcode. I want to take one last comment from Mike Fee. Uh, uh, Max, if you could read this one, this is a little bit much for me to read. Oh, you're giving me a whole paragraph to read. What is this? 
In a contrarian sort of way, higher inflation was seen as a tailwind for the travel industry. However, the 10-year treasury is currently at 1.47%, down from a high of over 1.7% three months ago. The reopening trade might still be alive and well. We will have a strong 2021, but profitability expectations might be muted. What do you think? So I don't worry about inflation at all at the moment because I don't think we know what inflation is. Uh, the fact that I used to be able to fly from here to Baltimore for 140 bucks round trip and now it's 220 isn't inflation. It's not having enough pilots and not enough people working and, and not sure what the demand is and when to roll back out. The fact that uh, certain items cost more isn't inflation. And there might be some actual inflation, but right now we're living in a demand-based economy. And basically within a few months, we all went from, hey, I'm at home and I'm ordering food to, oh my God, I want to go out to eat. I want to go to the movies. I want to go do this and get me to the theme park, get me to the water park. The, the water park near our, our place in Davenport was never busy during the week, uh, even during the height of tourist season. It's a smaller park. There's certainly better water parks uh, in the area. And now it's busy every day because I'm guessing even locals are just hungry to do things and they can't get reservations at Disney and, and other places. So I, I essentially say throw out 2021. And this is going to be the year that you really have to evaluate companies on a long-term basis. Now, that's what we do anyway. Uh, we, we don't go, oh, hey, uh, the price of gas might be high. So, you know, that's going to cause fewer people to go to restaurants. So we're not going to invest in restaurants. So we're, we look at the much longer trends. But the news media, and again, I am a 20, oh God, 29-year professional journalist. I, you know, so I, I've been doing this in some fashion since I was 18, 19 years old. Professional journalists, for the most part, don't know how to cover the market. They don't know how to cover earnings reports. They don't know what to look for. So you're going to get a lot of people who are just talking about comps and same-store sales when maybe those same-store sales were through the roof this quarter this year because all of a sudden everybody needed new tennis rackets or, or new whatever to, to go out and play. You really have to look at profitability next year and customer counts and, and average revenue per user and things that aren't in the press release on the first page. So as investors, think long term. We appreciate so many of you playing along. We, we know that it was a bit of a helter-skelter show. There was not a ton of news uh, worth talking about today. On Friday, we are going to do five steps to financial freedom in honor of the 4th of July. Uh, Anurban Mahante from Australia will be, of course, wearing his American flag outfit. Uh, and Sam Bailey, uh, there will be fireworks. I'm not sure how we're going to pull that off. Uh, but but start talking to Simon Erickson about budgets. With that, it is time to hit our finisher. Which form of entertainment will have the strongest post-pandemic comeback? About 30% said concerts. Uh, most of you agree with me on movies and said nope. 14.1% said theme parks. 49.9% said sporting events. Um, Max, I'm confident in three of these. I think the demand for concerts is going to be incredible. I think the the number of A-list artists that will be out over the next two years is going to be intense and there simply aren't enough venues. Like you're going to have multiple stadium artists touring in the same year. Um, sporting events, I think we're struggling a little before this. And I think aside, it's, it's very market-based. I, like, I don't think all of a sudden the Miami Marlins are going to be selling out. Whereas like, of course the Pittsburgh Steelers will sell out, but the Pirates, you know, what do the Pirates sell? 200 tickets a game? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kidding a little bit, but like, it's like the Marlins. They, they're, they're not good. 
They, they, they don't have an active fan base. Um, but I think the one where people are missing here is theme parks. I think families uh, were stuck home for a very long time. There were a lot of canceled planned vacations where people already have money in. I think one of the, that you're seeing this in the cruise industry that uh, a lot of the cruise lines allowed you to take 125% credit. Doesn't work out to that because prices are generally higher heading into to next year, but they're taking that credit. Well, a lot of people had canceled airline tickets and canceled Disney vacations. And in my case, I don't know, like 30 canceled business trips. And all that money is sitting in my various accounts, my Southwest account, uh, you know, and I think that is going to be a major boon for theme parks. And I also think this is lining up really nicely with a lot of new things opening. Uh, you know, it's the 50th anniversary at Disney. You're, you're going to see new rides open at every park. Uh, you still have a very new Star Wars land, uh, both here in Florida and in California. So I actually think that's the sneaky one here. Uh, Max, I know this isn't your area, but uh, any, any thoughts you want to weigh in on? Yeah, so I voted for sporting events. Uh, I agree with you. It's going to be region-based or maybe even like based on the sport leagues, you know. Um, but like this fall and winter for the NFL, I think it's going to be really, really something like pretty incredible. Like, you know, what else are people going to do in the winter and the fall? Like right now, you have options in the summer. Um, might would dwindle away a little bit. Uh, and as an aside, the joke here in Pittsburgh, you know, uh, in the very beginning when the Pirates were uh, opening up the stadium again for the first time, they came out and said, hey, we're going to have 25% capacity uh, to start opening the stadium. And everyone said, oh, okay, so they're at full capacity. Because uh, <laughs> they don't sell. You're right. They might only have 200 tickets a game. Um, and then, uh, so after sporting events, I said uh, concerts. I think that's going to be big. And I'm younger. And so, you know. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm a big concert guy. I, I've sought out <laughs> live music wherever possible during the pandemic. Uh, and I am very eager. I, the, one of the the first things canceled in March, I had Gaslight Anthem tickets, uh, a, a show that I was actually going to D.C. to see it at a, at a very famous venue that I'd never been in. A lot of the bands I'm big fans of are smaller. They don't necessarily work full time. It's going to be really exciting uh, to see them hit the road. For me, so I'm going to a live quasi-sporting event in a couple of weeks. My son wanted to go see the, uh, the AEW wrestling show, uh, and I am a wrestling fan. I was at the first AEW show with our, with our friend Nick Seipel. Um, and it's in Miami, it's in a 4,500 seat venue and they're coming up against the problem of that when they put tickets on sale, this is their first on the road show. When they put tickets on sale, it was set up for 50% capacity. It's now full capacity. Um, but people sort of don't realize tickets are still on sale. So I think you're going to see a lot of hinkiness, a lot of like the rules change as we go along in some of these places. I was shocked that there were ever rules in Florida, but I'm guessing that was maybe a city of Miami thing and not a, not a state of Florida. But as much as, as a 47-year-old man, it's not that often I'm going to go out to see pro wrestling, I'm kind of excited for things I wouldn't be excited for. Like, I want to see people sing along to entrance music and chant and, and just be normal. Like, I 100% guarantee you that next year when I, when I fly to New York uh, to see a Rangers game, that I will cry. That, that is a hundred percent possibility. I, you know, I, my college roommates had season tickets since college. I've sat with the same people. I'm very, very eager to get to see that. Um, but I do think it's going to be a whole new world, but I do wonder if the live sporting experience is something that some of us are over. I know that in the year my brother was in Miami with the dolphins, when I basically had to go to every game of a team I didn't care about, because he had four tickets and no friends who didn't work for the team because he, he was new to the city. Um, and I didn't have to go, but the first few games I absolutely did. 
the experience of parking and getting to my car and getting home. I mean, I'll tell you, I'm not going to Monday night football ever again. If you were playing like, like, like they could give me a prize and I wouldn't be going. Cause I got home at like three 30 in the morning. But uh, with that being said, we are very excited for the new world. Uh, I will shoot some footage while I am away uh, in the Bahamas this weekend. And we will certainly be doing some live shows from some very strange locations, uh, not strange, but very different locations uh, in the, <laughs> In, in the coming six months, Max and I will be uh, uh, six days all over the world in February, and we'll we'll be at various islands, which which basically means we'll be doing shows from from coffee shops or Margaritavilles. But that being said, uh, because there isn't Wi-Fi in like picturesque waterfalls and other places, we could be with that. If you'd like to get in touch with us, that is info at seveninvesting.com. That is for questions about your membership, questions about pricing, questions about how it works. Uh, don't ask us to work up an individual stock, but if there's a stock we've talked about or, or you, you are a member and you, you have a question, feel free. Uh, and if you'd like to interact with us on social media, we are at 7investing. It's a holiday week. We appreciate you watching. For Max Chatsko, for Sam Bailey, I am Dan Klein. We will see you Wednesday. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.